and welcome back to your weekly episode of Witch Picks. And today, finally, I have finished with The Ultimate Book of Shadows for the New Generation Solitary Witch by Silver Ravenwolf, for whom apparently three titles is as good as one. This book is absolutely mammoth. It comes in at over 500 pages long and I finally managed to get to the end of it after about a month of picking up, reading a few pages and then putting it down again. I was helped in part by the fact that quite a lot of the later sections are tables of correspondence to do with the elements, so unless you're actively doing something involving picking the correct moon time to do a specific spell, there's no point in reading that, so I just skipped over it. There's also quite a lot of spells at the back of the book, and these are spells that I will probably never perform because, as I said in my previous review when I looked at Valerie Worth's work, I don't tend to use spells from spell books. I tend to view them more as poetry, and these ones weren't terribly poetic or inspiring anyway, so I just kind of skipped over those again. But I read the parts of the book that were actually text that you could read if that makes sense. This book was published in 2003 and it remains probably one of her most popular books aside from To Ride a Silver Broomstick and probably also as controversial in the pagan community. Now growing up I missed quite a lot of the Silver Ravenwolf controversy because I was British and uh, I think it depends quite a lot on what your first book on Wicca is. And the first one I got my hands on, I actually had to buy from a physical bookshop. And it was The Real Witch's Handbook, which was by Kate West. And I feel that that was quite a balanced and interesting look at how to practice as a solitary and how to get into Wicca in its most simple form. Now, at that time, I also joined Wicca forums, which was a literal forum online and on there there was quite a lot of controversy and a lot of discussion of witches and Wiccans who were attracted to the occult because of The Craft, the movie, and Silver Ravenwolf's book Teen Witch and To Ride a Silver Broomstick and later on this one as well. And I'd never read those. I had a friend at the time who had a copy of The Solitary Witch, which is the one I've read now. And that's why I bought it just recently online, because it was about £9. And I thought, well, that's quite a reasonable price to pay for it, uh, considering that on the back it says 21 US dollars. So I thought I'd give it a go, see if I could get anything out of it. Because I think even if you read books that you don't agree with or that don't reflect your version of spirituality, there's, there's always a nugget or two in there that can kind of enrich your own practice. I certainly found that that was the case with the first part of this book. Book. There were some very interesting things about circle casting, about choosing pantheons. There were some really interesting things about um, celebrating in a solitary way and doing sort of blessings and rites of passage ceremonies as a solitary. And I felt that was quite interesting. There's also a lot of things at the beginning about how to celebrate the Sabbath when you're alone, which is always kind of a thing that I feel like Aside from Samhain, which is probably my favourite because I absolutely love all the Halloween imagery and all of the ideas associated with Samhain, as well as that time of year, I tend to get a bit lax about celebrating them because obviously I'm not a farmer. I'm not bringing in a harvest. I'm not making the first loaves of bread. I'm not, you know, celebrating the fertility of the soil to bring in next year's crop. So a lot of the Celtic ceremonies that the Wheel of the Year is based on don't really hold a huge amount of meaning for me. I do try and I've planted my little bit of garden and I'm growing pumpkins and things. But to be honest, I tend to view Samhain 
and Yule as my sort of major celebrations and the other ones I kind of forget about really up until a few days before I mean I'm out there I'm celebrating the fact that summer is here again but having something to do for those that relates to my life as it is now in the modern world is, is sometimes quite difficult so I think that's quite nice to have in the book and then there's various kinds of ceremonies and things that you can provide an overview of the Wiccan Reed, the Witch's Pyramid, these various ideas to do with Wiccan spirituality and morality and how we practice. Where I started to come unstuck just a little bit was in the sort of mid sections. Uh, I went through all the sort of things to do with tools and ritual tools and how all those worked. And those were quite interesting to read about, but obviously stuff that I'd already knew and knew before. Uh, I also enjoyed all the invocations to the sun. There's also a really nice blessing for medicine. Uh, so if you're like prescribed medicine by the doctor, you kind of it's a kind of grace that you would say over it to ensure its efficacy. And I thought that was a really nice way of kind of melding the modern with the old fashioned, uh, because obviously then you're using healing magic, but you're also using modern medicine, modern healing. I thought that was quite interesting. Having said that the book contains quite a lot of interesting ideas, I will say that the book contains a lot of ideas, period, in that every aspect seems to have been covered quite shallowly in that they're all given kind of like a couple of inches of column space to quite big ideas so like um, the physically disabled practicing witchcraft uh, sex family relationships all the big topics of life are kind of covered very briefly and it feels like after a certain point silver ravenwolf kind of forgot that she was writing a book about solitary practice because a lot of talk is given over to this is how you'll be expected to learn in a coven. This is how groups operate. This is how you should dedicate yourself for your year and a day of studying. This is how you will perform readings for people. This is how to approach performing spell work for people. And I don't necessarily think that a book that is obviously aimed at teenagers is really the appropriate place to be talking about doing spell work for profit for strangers. And also that if it's a solitary book, it should be about how to practice as a solitary not how to practice as a solitary while looking for a coven because not everyone is going to be able to find one of those and not everyone is going to have even friends who are into wicca to practice with there's also some quite strange ideas in it um for instance on page 260 there's a section called how disease occurs and it says that when working to banish any disease from a minor cold to something more serious the very first step is to consider the surrounding circumstances in that individual's life. Now, I mean, obviously, that's something that I agree with. If you're stressed and run down, you're obviously going to get colds and things a lot more easily because you're not taking care of yourself and you're not building up your immune system. So that I agree with. And I thought that that was sort of what she meant. But then it continues. A cold isn't just a cold. It is the end process of disharmony. Therefore, we have to figure out what the stresses are or were around the individual before we can work for total healing. If you practice a great deal of healing magics, you will soon see patterns, stresses that are related to specific illnesses. For example, people who have suffered any type of back injury usually indicate that they have felt like they were carrying the world on their shoulders right before the injury occurred. In many cases, this person was the sole breadwinner for the family and experienced one of the following life events right before injury. And then it lists the threat of job loss, actual job loss, loss of additional income and additional expense in the home. 
I'm really confused by that. Back problems tend to be caused by putting stress or strain on your back. So someone who is maybe hard at work with manual work or who has been doing some unaccustomed exercise and has injured their back in that way. I don't think that specifically back pain can be linked to the threat of job loss or any of the other reasons that she lists that are to do with work and money. I think maybe if you worked a manual job and you were worried that you were going to lose that job, you might push yourself to work a lot harder than you should and therefore subsequently hurt your back. But that's just one in many, 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 many reasons that you might experience back pain. So that was confusing. And then I went down to the next paragraph, which was women who suffer from breast cancer have often experienced a life-threatening circumstance or major stress involving a relationship with the opposite sex. People prone to colds have difficulty communicating with others. They may feel that others on the job or in the home are not listening to them, and they also appear to have been inundated by mental work, such as a big project that requires lots of thinking or writing that may not go smoothly, and the fear of failure. Again, I don't really understand how failed relationships with the opposite sex would lead to breast cancer. There's a lot of genetic and environmental and lifestyle factors that lead to cancer. Also, colds are generally caused by, as I said, you get a virus and your body can't fight it off properly because you've been not taking care of yourself, not building up your immune system, or you may be just very stressed and run down from lack of sleep and that's affected your immune system. I think a lack of communication at work or home could contribute to that stress. But to say that that is the cause of everyone getting a cold is as reductive and strange as saying that failed love affairs cause breast cancer. So I thought that was a bit of a strange thing to read in a book about magic. Silva also kind of rubbed me up the wrong way when she said that essentially when someone first starts practicing Wicca, they'll focus on the dual divine as the Lord and Lady or the Mistress and Master of the Universe, which I've literally never read anywhere else, or the God and Goddess. And that that this is sort of a stepping stone to help you understand the dual aspect of divinity between the divine feminine and divine masculine before you knuckle down with a coven and start working on your pantheon. And personally, I still work with the goddess and the god, and I've been practicing for quite a long time. And I do this because in Kate West's book um, that I first read when I was practicing Wicca, it kind of explains the divine as being like a mirror ball. And each little mirror tile on that ball is a different face of the divine as it has been perceived by a different culture in a different time. So on the goddess mirror ball, you've obviously got Hecate, you've got Isis, you've got all of the like, Persephone and every different goddess from different history, including Mary, Mary Magdalene, and the female figures of the Bible. And on the male ball, on the male ball, on the male mirror ball, likewise, you have the male deities. So you have like Zeus, Jupiter, the god of judeo-christian fame and all of the the other male deities and that those are all different phases but they're essentially the same thing they've just been perceived in little snippets by different civilizations and different people and that really kind of spoke to me because i think the divine is such a big and mysterious thing that no culture has obviously perceived it fully because we're at the end of the day just human and we can't fully know divinity in this life at least having said that i do work with 
several different faces of the divine. I tend to work mostly with Hecate and mostly other gods and goddesses from the Greek pantheon. And that's just because growing up I was really interested in Greek myths and those deities kind of speak to me in terms of their stories, specifically the stories of Persephone going down to the underworld. But I don't work exclusively with that pantheon and I wouldn't say that I followed them. I did quite a bit of research into Hecate and uh, found out about various different rituals and rites that used to be conducted for her and to be honest none of that really kind of mirrored my life. The same way that I'm talking about the harvest festivals not really mirroring my modern life. The same goes for Hecate. I'm not going to go to crossroads and perform the ancient Greek ceremonies that were done for her because that's not part of my culture and it's not something that holds meaning for me. But in Silver Ravenwolf's book, this is inferior and shows a lack of understanding or a lack of willingness to research. And I think that that's quite unnecessarily black and white thinking. I also found her attitude towards using other pantheons and other kinds of things from different spiritualities a little bit troubling. On page 99, she talks about spirit guides and angels and right at the beginning of the section she says before we get started on this topic let's make sure we cover a few very important points about spirit guides and angels neither belong to any particular religious system the belief in angels and guides predates modern religious structures you can't own an angel or a guide they aren't your personal property angels and guides don't discriminate on religious faith angels and guides create bridges between various religions to call on an angel or spirit guide is to rise above religious dogma and touch the universal spirit. Now, I believe that definitely in all spiritual traditions there is different kinds of guides or guardians that are called on. In Christianity, those are angels. In Native American philosophy, they're totem animals, spirit guides or ancestors in various cultures. And in paganism, obviously, you have uh, your familiar which is sort of my term for the animal that you see on the astral that is kind of your guide. But I don't think that you can say that everything is up for grabs in this kind of grab bag of different cultures that you can just pick the one that you like most. Maybe if you've been raised in a sort of European Christian place like I have in England, then you could maybe call upon the angels because you'd have a relationship with them from a, a prior occupation in Christianity. But I don't think that having picked up a book on Wicca and just sort of being introduced to it, you should be encouraged to go out and just sort of pillage other people's cultures for the thing that sounds best and most attractive to you. I agree that you can't own a guide, so I can't say that, you know, you can't call on the Archangel Michael because he's mine. But I also don't think that that's her intent with that sentence. It reads more like people can't tell you that you can't use things from their religion in your religion. And to a certain extent, I think that's true. I think if Christians turn around and say, you know, you can't call upon that deity, that's a Christian deity and it's incompatible with witchcraft, then I think that's nonsense. And that's sort of up to the witch to contact that guardian angel or whatever and kind of feel them out, as it were, for their cooperation. But I also think that stealing from other people's cultures when you don't fully understand them and you don't fully appreciate them is wrong and misguided. I fully fell out with uh, Silver Ravenwolf on page 441 where I reached magic is a system, not a religion. And I agree with that statement. Magic is something that you do. 
it's like saying prayer isn't a religion it's a system and basically they are the same you're doing magic actively as an occupation within a spiritual framework if you have uh, a religion around it you can of course practice magic without spirituality entering into it at all which is totally fine what i disagree with is when she finally gets down to Ra's tacks and essentially puts into words a definite feeling that i got from reading this book which is that she views witchcraft and wicca as being synonymous now for me and i think for quite a lot of people who i've spoken to online who kind of view it this way wicca is a religion it was founded by jared garner and it is mostly practiced by covens and there is a solitary element to it as well so you can meet a solitary wiccan and those are the people who follow an it harm none do what you will the wiccan read the rule of three wheel of the year and various other practices now what i do is sort of grown out of that because i now practice what i think of as witchcraft witchcraft being the craft of the wise being actual magic and magical endeavors there is also a framework which is like a, con a connecting me to the goddess and the god but i wouldn't call myself necessarily a wiccan in the sense that i don't agree any longer with a lot of the teachings that i was sort of introduced to under the banner of wicca but for sylvan raven wolf they're one and the same wicca is witchcraft is wicca so to quote from page 441 contrary to what some individuals may try to tell you witchcraft is a religion and is not a standalone system of magic therefore if one calls themselves a wiccan or a witch he or she is an adherent of the Wiccan religion. He or she is a witch who practices an earth-centred religion. If a person practices magic but does not follow the religion of the craft, its rules, etc., then he or she is definitely not a witch. He or she is a practitioner of magic or may adhere to a different magical religion such as Druidism, Voodoo, Santeria or mythical Christianity. Therefore, witchcraft is a religion. It is not a system or a cult or any other such nonsense, and it definitely does not ascribe to Christian dogma, which is an entirely different religion altogether. I really disagree with that. Um, so, as I said before, I think of witchcraft as being another name for the practice of magic, and specifically the practice of magic that involves folklore and wisecraft. So, if you've listened to the review of The Village Witch and maybe read it, you'll understand that the practice of magic and being a witch is a sort of cultural thing a lifestyle and it involves the practice of magic and different religious things may enter into that the fact is it's very difficult to define what being a witch is because that may be the case for me as i've just described for other people being a witch may mean something completely different it may involve being wiccan and they may see witch as synonymous for wiccan which is fine but I feel like it is not okay to name a book Solitary Witch and then to categorically state for definite that a witch is a Wiccan. Because if the book was called Solitary Wiccan, they would be talking about Wicca, which is in fact what Silver Ravenwolf talks about for 500 and more pages. What the book is called is Solitary Witch and it should be about witchcraft or it should have a title that reflects the fact that it's just talking about Wicca. Either way, I'm not very happy with her presenting her idea of what makes a witch and what makes a Wiccan as fact. Like I've said, there is a lot in this book. It goes over chakras, it goes over tarot cards, it goes over different breathing exercises. It has a small herbal section. It tells you about phases of the moon, 
phases of the moon going through the different houses of the astrological charts and the way different planets work in retrograde it tells you basically a rough outline of most things that you will encounter in other more specialized texts so in that sense it is a useful introduction but i think the black and white kind of essence of silver ravenwolf's beliefs that come out of it is quite off-putting and is not the best thing to be exposed to if you are new to practicing witchcraft or being wicked. I think it's a little unclear who the book is aimed at because at the start it is very focused on solitary activities and how to worship as a solitary which is quite a, a good thing to have if you're just starting out but then later on it gets into a sort of grab bag free-for-all of any religious cultural magical practice from various different faiths and various different cultures and it basically just tries to cover everything whilst also kind of making you feel as you read it that being a solitary is just a stopgap until you find a coven as if you will practice as a solitary for a given amount of time before joining a group and for a lot of people that simply is just not going to be the case uh, i'm not going to go into too much of the controversy around various things that Silver Ravenwolf has written. I'm going to keep that for the review of the To Ride a Silver Roomstick book which arrived yesterday because a lot of the controversy is specifically related to that book. But what I will say is that if you can find this book, The Solitary Witch, cheaply it is worth maybe picking up a copy and giving it a bit of a read but a lot of it is going to be focused on Wicca and not witchcraft and a lot of it is going to be largely irrelevant because there's so much covered in the book that not all of it is going to apply to you the one thing that i find quite troubling about the book is the kind of large cult of personality which seems to surround anything written by silver raven wolf i looked at a lot of the reviews online before i thought of purchasing this book and i largely got the impression that this was one of the better silver raven wolf books but also a lot of the people who've posted not entirely positive reviews of the book have been labelled as jealous or completely not being able to comprehend magic itself and that I've seen the word a naysayer and non-believer being touted about as if Wicca is somehow Silver Raven Wolf's religion and that isn't something to lay at the door of the author but it is quite troubling and it always puts me off whenever I find something that is surrounded by people who won't hear a bad word said about it because Religion is a really important aspect of your life, but if you're not willing to question it, then it can be quite a dangerous aspect. So I would encourage you to read it and make your own mind up, but also to understand that I view it very much as a, a jumping off point and that her opinions and my opinions and the opinions of anyone else are not as important as what you yourself think and what you go out and experience. So that would be my word of caution on the book itself. I hope you've enjoyed this review and remember you can get in touch with other recommendations via Twitter which is at witchfix and on Gmail which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you if you have anything that you want to recommend or make me aware of that I haven't managed to find which is entirely likely that you will because Google isn't an exact science. Uh, please do let me know and I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye!